Hello, everybody, and welcome to Documentation Not Included. It is Thursday, 7 p.m. BST, although we're getting closer and closer to that not being the case. And we are live on twitch.tv slash DNI stream. It's time for our next show in our development series, which is episode 2.14, Proprietary Tools, Stagnation or Growth. I am Josie Howarth, and as always, I am joined to the strongbow to my white lightning, Chris Seabach. You could have said scrumpy, you could have said any craft ciders, but I couldn't you got think strongbow. of like, I could have said Copperberg, but like my brain just that'd, forgot. That would have been cider. better, Copperberg, it's slightly, Copperberg, slightly classier. Yeah. But anyway, good enough, <laughs> at least I'm not a white lightning. Um, right, so yes, hello, hello Josie and hello to everybody in Twitch chat. As always, please do get involved if you have anything relevant or interesting to say. We will possibly read it out and uh, get you involved Maybe. with the show. So before we get started, let me please introduce our guest. This week, we have a, a guest that is a regular listener on the show. We've mentioned him many, many times, so we've got high hopes that he'll, he'll keep us entertained and, uh, <laughs> and we'll provide lots of interesting content for us today. So, Bjorn, hello. Hello. Please do introduce yourself. Tell everybody why you're here and what you do. Um, yep, as I mentioned, I'm, my name's Bjorn. I work as a software developer with um, industrial automation specialized in ship systems and the marine sector. Mm. <laughs> he makes ships go fast. So this is this is the <laughs> this is the PLCs that um Josie's mentioned a few times on previous shows. I still yep. don't know what PLC stands for. Programmable logical controller. Uh, oh. it, it, it's... <laughs> so it's nothing to do with ships necessarily. It's something no, to do no, with no, an integrated no. it's, system. It, it's like a, a dumb computer, really. It's uh, uh, often how uh, uh, to put it. It, it. There's no operating system on many of them. Uh, it's it's simple. It right. uh, is made to be uh, secure. So it's it's a piece of hardware that it's it's essentially an integrated system. It's a piece of hardware yeah. that that is built for a very specific purpose, and it's yeah. it's locked down. It doesn't yeah, it doesn't have an OS. Doesn't have even have a probably have a post or a BIOS or anything like that. I imagine no, no. interesting. Something I've never touched. I had absolutely no experience whatsoever in that. So I'm probably going to be well be out of my depth here. <laughs> I, I highly doubt that, well, we'll considering our topic. But yes, before we go on, can I just say, Chris, I appreciate the fact that last week you realized that I would have had your guts for garter if you hadn't used an icebreaker question. So I'm so proud of you. But I also had never really heard guts for garter before, so that no? just stuck with yeah. me and it made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, before we begin, we have our icebreaker question as always. And this time, the icebreaker question really has to do with technology, but in a weird way. So, would you rather live without the internet for a week or without your phone? And yes, yes, they are different things. So, without your internet for a week or without a phone? Guests honor, Bjorn, what do you think? <laughs> for me, that would be simple. I would get rid of my phone for a week. You would really want to keep your internet then? Between those two choices, definitely. The internet has, um, well, 
the, fo- the, the the phone has more potential to 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 uh, to, to find me and uh, drag me into something I don't want. Oh, to you do. mean like work? <laughs> I I'm in agreement. I'm absolutely in agreement there. But I'd rather not. If I if for a week, I would have preferred that question to be something like, "Would you you know no technology for a week or something else?" You know, I they're both one and the same well, to me. It's easy for you, Chris. If it was no technology or technology, you go no technology in a heartbeat. Yeah, but I mean, I love I love my tech. Don't get me wrong. My house is full of it. I'm not one of these who has you know like a um, Alexa and you know home automation systems and things <laughs> like that. But I, I'd I'd probably I'd, I'd easily prefer having the internet than my phone. I, I I these days have all my notifications turned off on my phone. I uninstalled most of my apps that you know like Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and everything like that. I don't have any of them installed. I think I might have Facebook on there still, but I've turned everything off. I don't even have email notifications now because I, I I don't need them. I, my life's better without them. See, that's interesting. For me, I think it would be rather interesting because I would go without the internet for a week. Hmm? And the reason why is because 99.9% of the people in this world don't actually have my phone number. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. So if I went without internet, they'd have no way of reaching me. And if I went without, you know, my phone, they would have all of the ways to reach me. So I would actually basically end up with in your case, defaulting to your response of no technology at all at that point because I wouldn't have to worry about it. There's actually, but I don't really get I would contacted. still be able to play games because you don't need the internet to play games. Some games. Some games, but that's a whole other topic. Mm. <laughs> oh, wow. Right, okay, so on to today's show topic, developing with proprietary tools. I'm amazed I said that right. I can never say the word proprietary, so I'll probably get that. <laughs> I'll probably mess that up a few times uh, during the show. So, Bjorn, quick question for you. Why did you pick this topic specifically? Um, <laughs> well, um, as a PLC programmer, you are pretty much forced into working with uh, proprietary tools. Um, uh, each uh, PLC manufacturer has their own software development tool that you need to be using to make software for their product. Right. Because you, you, I could theoretically do development in Notepad or something, like Visual Code. You, you do get uh, plugins for Visual Code that uh, makes it uh, possible to do development there, but it, it's not practical. You, you lack... Uh, uh, all the, the 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 functionality that you need, uh, and uh, I, I think uh, the, the the PLCs are more sandboxy than what you see in 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 uh, other uh, development platforms, C plus plus, Java. So. When we're talking about a proprietary tool, then, or, or proprietary, are you talking about proprietary languages as well? Well, there is a language standard that we, uh, that we use. Uh, manufacturers actually implement it um, for the most part, and then they go their own way and make uh, <laughs> right. uh, they, they make special cases for for their product, uh, which make it difficult to change platform and because you have to rewrite a lot of code. 
Yeah. So, almost full of the standard, but not quite. See, Chris has never actually seen one of these things in action, whereas I have literally seen these things in action being built. And so if I were to say to you, Chris, you know, I would like you to build a tool that when the house temperature gets to 80C, you know, you kick the fans on, mm -hmm. you know, just auto turn the fan on. So basically an automated system, you know, would you be able to write something like that in C? Yeah, absolutely. And would you, you know, have your choice of, you know, what types of platforms you want to use and um, what types of devices you might want to use to make it happen? Like you might decide to use, oh, I don't know, IFTTT, or you might want to use, you know, you basically have choices, right? Yeah, I've got, I've got a very wide choice in a generic kind of higher level language um, to, to do anything. I can integrate with many APIs. What, m most of my job is finding the right API for the tool. For, for now, the, you know, for the job, sorry. Having watched some of the things that uh, Bjorn has had to do in his time, and please, Bjorn, correct me if I am wrong on this, because this is what I walked away with besides my head wanting to explode, was you have to pick which input is going to be connected in and pull that information from that input. You then have to almost say, use this particular circuit to then cause this device to then, like, it's so much like more hardware level. It, it, Obviously, it is very, because, very hardware know. oriented, and that is one of Tri the reasons, resistors and weird reasons stuff. why we also probably need uh, at least some level of a proprietary tool to set everything up. Because when I, um, well, a, t a typical small project for me would be that I, I, I write a piece of software, I define all the s sensors, uh, all the IO systems, uh, do the hardware configuration, uh, and then I need to start linking that into my software. So you're that... almost writing device drivers then in that case? Yeah, um, most of, um, if, if you start looking at the modern PLCs, you, you will probably find something like an STM32 ARM processor in the background uh, running most likely C and C++ code. Then you have on, on top of that you have the typical C, uh, the typical PLC languages that runs the, the logic part. Yeah. Um, and so, you also uh, you work in a very protected environment. Uh, you don't have that opportunity opportunity to mess up like you do in C or C plus plus and uh, similar languages. Oh, okay, I have to I have to quickly question in on that one because there are going to be some people who are so used to sort of like the development frameworks that we talk about things like uh, Angular, etc. And some of our listeners are actually people who build the software side of things that have no Angular or JavaScript in them. And yet what you're talking about is something a little bit deeper than that. Now you said you have less of a chance to mess up. I'm curious as to why you say that. Compared to C, or C I would sharper. imagine because you're limited in what you can and can't do. Um, exactly within uh, that, it, it it is the limitations. Um, uh, say if you want to make uh, something dynamic, uh, like uh, automatic a, a config that would dynamically change the scope, better word, of of your product. Uh, like if you had um, 
one motor or ten motors, so you could just automatically change that. That that's normally what you do uh, easy in C, C and C plus uh, plus. It's not that easy to do in in uh, languages I do. Uh, it, things that comes to memory management are usually locked away from you. Okay. You don't have to think about stack and heap. It's, it's not a concept. So would you would you say that the languages you use are high level or low level because you're you're interacting with hardware, but are you interacting with that hardware via an API or are you interacting at the well what would have previously been referred to as um at the bus level or at the um IRQ level previously. I, I don't know what it's called these days. PCI level, isn't it? I suppose on modern PCs. Something like that. IRQs, man, that brings back memories. But, but anyway. It, it, um, there, there is a level of code beneath what I do uh, that actually handles the actual uh, CPU and uh, logic on that level. Uh, right. Uh, structurally, the language I use, the structured text is it feels a lot like C. Okay. But, of course, with a lot of limitations. So, I mean, it, I, I don't interact with, with memory. I mean, I don't interact with hardware. I interact with APIs that mm -hmm. that manage, that, that do all of the, the really low-level stuff. So I can't really damage a computer. You know, I couldn't, if I'm, if I'm writing assembly, it's very, very different to writing C sharp or, or even C plus plus. I don't do C plus plus, but it's a similar kind of concept. But C plus plus is again lower level than C sharp. So, and then we've got JavaScript and everything that sits on even on top of that, which is completely, <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you can go into, you know, you can run it on a server and, and interact with hardware, but it's not the same thing. It's still abstracted away. Um, yeah, I mean, you're not sitting there specific, like, for example, if you make a call and any of the things that you've mentioned to a database to, let's say, just grab some information from the database, you're not sitting there saying, I now need you to move the information found in memory block C. Yeah. Like, you're not, and you're nowhere near down that. We've got the compilers and all of mm -hmm. the other things that we actually have that handle those the, the lowest level I, I ever need to go to is I need to sometimes know the difference between a reference and a value type um, and how they're handled in the stack or if they're handled on the heap, you know. Very rarely I need to worry about that, but I can worry about that if I need to. When you're doing C++, it's different. You do have lower level um, management of memory and, and address spaces and things like that, but it's not something I've ever needed to care about. I just assign a variable, do something with it, and it's extremely memory hungry you know but that's just the way the languages i work work with so it, and what i'm trying to get to here is what i'm trying to figure out is how how abstracted is it from the hardware if you're interacting with um inputs on a, you know hardware inputs on a on a cable uh, do you work mm -hmm. with serial cables or i mean what kind of um that varies a lot uh, right. do you have um uh in its most basic form, it's like uh, switches on and off. It's uh, you, you get an electrical signal on an input, uh, and 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 your variable that is bound to that input just goes from false to true. Right. Uh, so yeah, you've got, definitely got an API sitting on top of the hardware layer. Then in that yeah. case, um, 
And the logic side of it is fascinating. So <laughs> yeah. this, this, everything you're saying is pointing me towards integrated devices and or a modern, a more modern uh, take on this, which is used by hobbyists, which are the Arduinos and the um, Raspberry Pis of the world. Because mm-hmm. you can plug things into them and you can play around with different... I wouldn't necessarily throw enough. Raspberry Pi into the same mix as that. I wouldn't. But the Raspberry Pi could probably do most of the things that my PLCs do, uh, with a little help uh, with, of uh, extra hardware. Um, the difference is that PLCs are built uh, by uh, by an. Uh, Applying to industrial standards, they they can handle the rough environment, uh, right? It, it just as much the electrical side of things as there is the software side of things. So we're talking about um, devices such things like um, Cisco routers, for example. Some some Cisco routers can be deployed into extremely hazardous environments, um, yep. mi- minus forty degrees Celsius, plus plus fifty degrees Celsius, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And they still work and they still operate, but they are specialist devices, but they have a pre-built operating system on them that allows you to do certain things and uses their proprietary tools, um, their proprietary frameworks, and sometimes allows you to extend them with C++ or um, various other uh, other languages or other binaries. But usually you have to speak to the vendor very, very closely to get anywhere near that. I've actually had experience of that in in the last year. In fact, working <laughs> working closely with Cisco <laughs> to figure out some cutting edge uh, edge computing. So, is it anything like that? I mean, do you deal with the vendors and the? Um, not that much, I would say, because uh, these devices are out of the box. They're not doing anything. They, they they just have a power light going on and that's it right they they they, they, they uh, we, we, we get the, the 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 hardware we build it to our specification uh, and then we add the software uh, to make the the machine do do what you need it to do okay be um, anything from uh, power management systems to Making the propeller systems for boats, uh, flow control for water and similar stuff. So that's interesting to me because, I mean, when we look at things from a proprietary standard, like if you want to write in JavaScript in today's day and age, (laughs) pick your framework, have fun, (laughs) you know, that kind of a thing. However, if you're dealing that much further down towards the hardware, like, you know, what you're saying there, SCADA systems even, that kind of a thing, um, you're going to get closer and closer to the proprietary side of things because the people who develop the hardware that you're going to be using are, besides using correct specifications based on, you know, this is why we have standards, my friends, you know, this is why we need to support standards and environments. But you have... um, they know what their systems are certified to handle 
So like, you know, if you're going to be sitting there saying, well, I've got an electrical input coming in and it's going to be false or true, and it's going to go back and forth really, really fast based on whatever timing sequence you guys have set up for that mm -hmm. kind of input versus output, the board needs to be able to handle it. The hardware needs to actually be able to handle it. In a way, you're almost writing the CMOS and the BIOS for these systems. Um, so when you're dealing with that kind of level, it makes more sense to me to have a proprietary tool or in, you know, yeah, you literally divide the IDE, a, a proprietary IDE in order to make the best use of whatever piece of hardware you've been given. Unlike when we all pick what operating system we want to use on a motherboard. We're not telling the motherboard how to handle memory, you know? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like, why would you want a, to have a proprietary system? It's because you have to have for something like that, because well, it's so close. Can I ask a question, a for, slight follow-on question before Bjorn answers, um, that you can answer at the same time? Do you prefer, would you prefer to work with uh, more open language? And do you feel like it would be appropriate? Or what Josie says, is it absolutely necessary for you to work in these proprietary environments? Um, how to answer? Um, at the carefully. Moment, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so at the moment, I'm I'm in the process of going through a platform change uh, with the PLC manufacturer. Uh, the the one we're looking at, they are using a third party programming tool that they add their stuff to, like hardware configurations and stuff like that. Uh, what I'm seeing is that there's a more open platform. You can go into their home address and download their pure version of this programming tool. Uh, and uh, it, it, it is a much, because it's, it's, um, it's more open. It's also more uh, people involved and it has a much more modern, approach to industrial software development yep. uh, adding more features that you you would expect to see uh, like uh, uh, object oriented the programming is like a, what are you talking about well object oriented programming is quite heavy anyway so i imagine an integrated system it's not it's better to be functional or it's, procedural um, if you, if you look historically at it, uh, PLC systems systems are very low end hardware as well. It's a little bit of memory, it's a little CPU. Uh, it has just enough to make it work. Uh, you put your logic in; it is supposed to be running no matter what happens. There's not supposed to be any memory leaks. There's not to be any other software crashes. Everything needs to be rock solid. Mm -hmm. uh, as the PC world has gone forward, so has the, the hardware available for the PLC manufacturers. Memory is a luxury that um, has come. Uh, I don't have to really worry too much about spending too much memory like we had to before. Yeah. Uh, the CPU is more powerful than you usually need. So, so, you, so you have more... Thing? It gives you more leeway, I think, uh, to to make 
more uh, how to put it <laughs> i i think uh, more, more advanced software uh, probably um with a limited have... memory footprint, though, you, you will only be able to write so many lines of code and manipulate so many variables or whatever you... If you I'm assuming you use some kind of variable system yep. within uh, within that code. Um, w- with an enterprise system, the kind of stuff that I work on, usually you're working with octa-core or, or you know, 24, 36-core yep. servers with... with terabytes of ram and you know you're running multiple vms on this machine and you you know you you've got so many threads going kicking off at the same time i imagine you're very limited in terms of um of the again the amount of threads you multi-threading is that even a thing in your world i've seen one plc that has um (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that that was a very special case that where they ran uh, 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 Linux uh, uh, side by side with the PLC software right. and had some um, uh, memory uh, shared memory that you could use. Uh, so um, yeah, I think mm. it's it's interesting. It's a very different world. You're you're much more constrained with not just not just the environments that you program in, but also the um, the hardware that you work with. But going back to Josie's question, is that a good thing? Is it necessary? Does it save money? That's the primary thing that businesses, I assume, are focused That's on here. True. Is it better to have a smaller piece of hardware or a, a more limited piece of hardware that's very robust, um, physically robust, and that it can be deployed into, you know, it's waterproof maybe, it can be deployed into... Mm. Um, in, in space or into environments that are harsh in some way, shape, or form. It's easier to do that with less hardware, with more controlled hardware, than it is to do that with a server that does everything and has loads of headroom. Is that the reason why? Am I putting words into uh, your mouth? I, I'm trying to figure <laughs> out what the. I'm trying to figure out what the. Um, why is it is it an is it a natural it's, thing to do? I, I don't fully understand it. I I, I think um, originally PLCs were made to be very simple as well. Uh, that you need need to be a programmer, software developer to to actually work with them. Uh, they had a graphical uh, programming language called uh, Ladder. And, it's still part of the the, the the standard and it is uh, uh, logically uh, uh, built around relay logic like sw- switches on and off and it, it follows the same logic uh, when you program the PLC right. it, it is made to, to make it easier for someone with a electrical background to start program and making simple uh, software solutions um today um what i'm seeing is the tendency that uh, automation systems are gravitating towards uh, uh, pcs linux based pcs uh, uh, simply to get the tools needed to do everything uh, logging is a thing big data is a thing 
we want to see how the system works. We want to log everything. We want to have the tools to analyze the data, yeah. uh, both for the uh, company that makes the system and for the customer. So they can analyze uh, fuel consumption, electrical con power consumption. They want to have the ability to with a button press, uh, get a report on what is going on the last two days uh, for uh, to send reports back to authorities for uh, different things. It's, it's, it's fascinating. This It sounds very, very close to what I was working on with uh, with a, my transport client that I mentioned before. They, it was all, it's called edge computing. It's it's basically at the edge of a road um, and it's it's integrated small devices or even hard, big devices with a little bit more processing power that, that do a very specific set of things. But it is very much moving into this cloud-based or, and there's also something called a fog as well, which is below the cloud, um, which is, is network. Basically, Not many people know about the fog. No, the fog is a, is a network that is close to, um, it's connected to the cloud usually in some way, but it is a roadside network or a, a network that is close to the hardware that it is managing. It's mostly being mm. used in transport, that particular term, edge computing mm. and fog computing. But it's very, very similar to what you're describing there. And it's maybe, I mean, PLCs, I don't know how big the industry is. I don't know how how much money is invested in it in terms of the technology. But I can totally see that management want to start seeing the benefits of what enterprise do. They want to start seeing the the reports. They want to start seeing the, the metrics and the throughput. And, you know, they have to pay for yeah. that. Exactly. <laughs> well, see, it's interesting to me because this actually um, brings up a, a story from way back in my younger years, uh, back in the 90, 90s. Uh, I don't say not, uh, well, anyway, back in the 90s, um, there was a book that was released called Showstopper, and it was about Windows 95 um, or Windows NT. No, it was Windows NT. It was about Windows NT and about how they were um, uh, unwilling to release a product to people if there were showstoppers and that you know your bugging systems and things like that now to me that was a starting point for what an operating system was supposed to be robust sturdy etc so when i look at it from the perspective of the plcs you have that low level you don't have a lot of options you are forced to deal with whatever tools are given to you by the hardware manufacturers because they know what their their particular pieces of hardware can do and then the further and further we seem to go in the years, just because we have the memory available or we have the CPU processing power available or the internet throughput available, doesn't necessarily mean that we wanna have things keep adding on top of stuff, which is what we're starting to see, at least in my opinion. I'm actually wondering if, because we've had these great uh, Moore's Law, I believe it is, where we have all of the available stuff. I mean, Chris, if you wanted to build a fully integrated system that, you know, uh, sorry, trying to put the words into my mouth and they're not working right now. <laughs> but if you were trying to build a fully integrated system and you wanted to have really fancy computers doing all of the work for you, you actually have options to have all of these computers integrate together, talk to each other. You could have them running off of graphics cards if you wanted to. I mean, there yeah. are massive, massive computational systems built off of graphics cards alone. Mm -hmm. However, if you wanted to, uh, just because that technology is available, doesn't necessarily mean you want to build 
to that technology. I'm, I'm really trying to find the right way so to say we've, it. So we've got two not- we've got two distinct architectures here. One's a monolithic right. architecture, which is which is a big machine that does everything. Um, and machine. what we're what we're now moving into, and it's very much, it's not the same as as what Bjorn works on, from what I can tell. But we're moving into a, a containerized environment, and containers are very much that there are still operating systems, but they're very very cut down, and they they do one thing, but it's usually an application, and that application right. is still that com- actually, much more complicated than probably what that's. I say yeah, about Bjorn and I don't know. So. <laughs> that's what I was trying to get to because what I was then going to lead into was, you know, when you have to deal with a uh, like a, a system where you are really stuck into whatever tools are designed for it, you do end up. Oh God, it's like the thought just keeps leaving my head. So sorry. Today <laughs> seems to be me not existing. Um, no, it's uh, you find yourself having to spend more time in development because each either. A container or each PLC has to be explicitly designed for that one core purpose. Therefore, reusability is not always easy. Containerization, it's easier in today's day and age because of how it's set up. But I'm curious if reusability is a reason why you think you're starting to see more um, PLCs that have that we have the logging now that you can do a part of it or like, or mm-hmm. tools that you can have those things. That's, I was, that's, I was trying to get to, <laughs> to reusability. Um, it, it, having having sorry, more tools, uh, def- uh, like uh, what you described now, definitely makes uh, everything more re- reusable. Uh, it's a focus that uh, my company has been high on the list uh, uh, now uh, to make everything more uh, reusable uh, unlike uh, a lot of software developers we have a very small uh, client base like we make a system uh, and, and we may maybe sell five to six of them per year uh, which make uh, we, we, we don't have the, the, the amount of like feedback uh, from the client not to the same degree as you can get if you have a larger user base. Uh, everything needs to work uh, safely. You can't because... do a day one patch, put it that way. No. Uh... <laughs> Yet. Yet. <laughs> Once it and goes gold. Would you want to for security purposes? I mean, one of the things you said was these things are meant to be a, a bit more secure. Yeah. Uh, it's like... Uh, it... If we mess up, it can have very serious consequences. Yeah. So uh, is your QA process very stringent then, I'm assuming? <laughs> Should it be more stringent than it is? <laughs> um, I mean, there has to be a level of QA if if what you're it, doing... There, there is. ...is... Um, all the systems that uh, that we deliver, and they they are tested as much as you can on 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 the uh, on the lab, and also during uh, system commissionings, uh, everything uh, is tested thoroughly because uh, we don't only have to take into account that there might be a software bug, but also like installation uh, errors. Mm-hmm. There are thousands of signals that all needs to be correct else the software can not uh, end up not working correctly 
Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 very interesting. It, I think I can see a general high level picture of how it works. I mean, I would never claim to be you know an expert, but it's very interesting that it it's a very different world to program in than than the enterprise, and even diff- definitely is. It's would it's you a- would you consider it programming or scripting what you do? Mm. Do you do you write a, a list of commands or do you write a, a functions that do things and then call those functions? If you know what I mean, but and that doesn't that isn't really the difference between scripting that, and programming. I was about to say, but, that, that, does, that does not work, Chris. But. No, <laughs> um, you, can, you can call functions in scripts as well, and and the other way around, you can write programs that don't necessarily. I suppose they do call they make calls, but that's about it. It's, Hmm. I strike that from the record. Are, that are, are you a script kitty or are you a program? Kitty? I suppose what, what I'm trying to figure out is: is do you execute scripts or do you execute binaries and and run those? I execute binaries. Right. Okay. So um, I have worked with PLCs that actually do uh, take the same language and and run it as a script. Uh, it makes the PLC very slow. I imagine. So it's interpreted so, in that case instead of uh, instead of being yeah. compiled. Yeah, very, very easy to work with as uh, for, for debugging mm. because it could just type a code and press a button and it's like live in uh, a second. So have you ever been um, have you ever been deployed on site to where the PLCs have been installed to debug something? Is that part oh, yes. of your job? Yeah, my job includes everything from. Uh, pre-planning the system, helping out with the schematics, plan out the software, uh, do the software development, do the testing, do the testing of hardware, um, commissioning of systems, and aftermarket uh, support. Right. He he is a one-stop shop. Mm. <laughs> and and just to uh, put an, a thing out there about scripting versus programming, I had to look this up because mm-hmm. this was going to get to me. All scripting languages are programming languages. Mm-hmm. The erratic difference between the two is that scripting languages do not require compilation. Yeah, that's what I was saying between binaries versus scripts, mm-hmm. interpreted scripts versus uh, versus a. Also, running, thank you, Google. For... Yeah, running calls <laughs> in a binary uh, binary file of some right. description. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about. Well, we've talked a lot about what you do and, and how you do it. What I suppose are there any other frustrations that you have working in that environment, in that limited environment? Are there any times when you when you've written something or you've compiled a piece of code and, and deployed it and you go, Well, if only do you have enough knowledge about other programming languages and other frameworks to know that you can do this in something like I could do this in C plus plus? Unfortunately, yes. Right. So why can't <laughs> <laughs> Why can't we just use C plus plus? And if I mean, what what's your take on that? Do you get so frustrated that sorry, not frustrated? Do you get to a point where there's ever a use case or there's ever an argument that you can put forward to say we should be using something else here? Um, the way I see it at the moment, I don't think. Um, 
uh, there's a lot more to it than I, I can do a lot of things uh, with uh, an embedded system like uh, running C code. I could make it a lot more flexible mm -hmm. uh, and, and probably develop a lot of things quicker. Uh, the wall I'm hitting there is um, uh, product certification, product uh, uh, approval uh, with different uh, classing companies like uh, DNV, GL, uh, and similar, which is a marine uh, uh, quality assurance company, I could uh, you could say. Okay. Um, mm. It would make it a lot more expensive to work on platforms that are not certified. Yeah. Um, so there is there is a, a I, I monetary see, element to that. Though. Yeah. I would, I, I would I would assume uh, this is my guess that uh, five years in the in the future, ten years in the future, I would probably not be working with PLC languages anymore. Uh, and rather be working with uh, C, C++ or something similar, uh, Rust perhaps. I don't know. Oh. I've seen, I've seen a lot of uh, um, people uh, uh, um, talking about Rust as a language for embedded. Yeah, I've, uh, I've seen that myself recently as well. See, I, I'm now wondering, you know. I know of some people who actually uh, program hardware, like the motherboards and things, not just the PLC mm -hmm. boy here, which I like to call him in my brain. He is PLC boy um, or moose, whatever. But uh, in this particular case, you know what, when I hear you saying that, there's a part of me that goes, that's really cool. And there's a part of me that gets really scared because when you start pulling further and further away from that kind of, uh, close to the board language, I guess, is the only way for me to phrase it. It almost feels like you're introducing avenues for more trouble, you know, more errors or uh, more bloat or, you know, will we have someone go, well, I need to get more memory so that yeah. I can, you know, ha power my airplane. You know, like <laughs> it, 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 it just makes me wonder if yep. that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, I don't deal in the PLC world. I don't deal in the hardware development world. So I don't know what advancements may have been made or not made. So do you have any thoughts on that? There are ways to mitigate uh, issues. Um, uh, one thing uh, that was uh, uh, introduced to me was uh, a coding style guide for C++ that was made for the uh, the software running on the Joint Strike Force airplanes or whatever they call it. I can't remember the exact name. It, it is like a long document describing how to program to make it secure. Like functions shouldn't contain more than this much variables. Uh, uh, a class shouldn't be more. Than, it's very, very strict. And this is to make the software very very solid it 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 is a um, set of rules that will uh, well, right this is this doesn't make sense to me i mean i know i'm just hearing a high level <laughs> thing but that that the, the only reason to do things like that like reduce the amount of variables and reduce the nesting and you know reduce make sure you haven't got it, it makes limitations but that you still have the flexi a lot of the flexibility that these languages introduce 
But to, to also, me, that that all that does is it, it it helps you maintain the software going forward. It gives you standards to to make it easier to maintain and makes it easier for teams of people to work on the same piece of code. It doesn't make it more secure unless you've got a very specific, you know, you must um, you must encrypt particular pieces of information or you must declare variables in this particular way. Um, you know, it must be a signed variable if it's can't be a minus number, that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, but I, I, I just kind of struggling to see how that would make a difference unless i'm missing something i probably am <laughs> there's the thing that stands out for me um one of the things that ends up introducing so many security vulnerabilities in our world is the fact that you will have many people working on the same thing doing what they think is right for their particular part of an application so when you need to have um a very easy way for everyone to know, you know, how everything is structured, what is expected of me for this code. Having standards makes perfect sense. Hmm, you know, it's it's a bit like when we're when he was explaining to us um, how by using the proprietary tools for PLCs and things like that, he's stuck only making the right function calls that the proprietary tool says can be made for that piece of hardware. And if you apply that, although getting humans to ever do what they're supposed to do is a whole different story. But um, you know, if you say that when we work on this particular application, whether it is something for the DOD or whether it is something for your local grocery store, makes no difference. If everybody is following the same standards, it makes it a lot easier to secure because you actually know how everything is going to be structured, which tells you the types of tests that you need to run or the things that you're going to be looking at. It makes it's it just makes it easier. It's less of a chance to have um, that function that shows up that says, I don't know what this does, but if you delete it, it breaks everything. Yeah, well, you that's know? that's a maintenance thing. As I said, it's not, it's not, I'm, I'd like to see that document. I'd like to uh, understand where I'm misunderstanding, I suppose. <laughs> yep, uh, I'll get you the link. Yes, drop us <laughs> and we'll put it in the show notes as well for everybody, we'll if you don't mind. If it's, not, if it's not proprietary, at least, anyway. No, um, so uh, fully open. Uh, well, even if it's proprietary, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't access it. Well, okay. Okay, if it's not secure or private, you know, or internal or anything like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's just interesting because I, I, I always... I find that the more tools and the more knowledge I have to my disposal, whether it's across the languages I use and the frameworks I use, or it's other frameworks, languages, tools, this is one of the reasons I do this podcast is so I learn what other people do so I can get better at what I do because I've mm. got a broader set of information. The more information I have, the more informed decisions I can make. And security, mm -hmm. you know, liaising with, with Josie for quite a few years now has become Oh, it already it always always was important to me, but it has become much more important to me, and that is reflected in the code I write as well. That makes me so happy. Yeah, you'd be proud of the stuff I've been I, doing the last two I, weeks, Josie. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Beard. S security is uh, also something that is uh, starting to show up a lot more in industrial uh, automation systems because traditionally it's been a, a, a no topic. So. So, so, uh -huh. so um, thanks to Joseph, um, the, 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 there have been changes made at my company as well. So, <laughs> I, this is 
is a happy <laughs> celebration day for me, flowers and rainbows. Um, and I think there's something to be said for um, the, the whole concept of proprietary tools. I think they have a purpose. I think I just worry that people get stuck in them and can't learn and grow and maybe go on to do writing for another company. It, it, we didn't really um... get to that point in our topic. And the only reason why I bring it up is because we are kind of at the end of our show. So, yeah. Well, eh. why don't we, why don't we end the show and have Beyond back in the future to talk about the, the purpose and the, you know, the, the reasoning behind why we, why we would use proprietary tools and, and again, the stagnation, which is part of the topic, stagnation or growth. We didn't yeah. even cover the sub, the subline. No, the we, sub... we didn't. I, I was much more interested. In, like trying to it's, get him on the show has it's been fascinating. To some, I said oh. it's not going to be fascinating to all our listeners. It's not going to be fascinating no. to everybody. But it's still, it's something to me that I. I'm interested in. I, I want to know what other programmers do because I'm not the be all and end all. As much as I may mm -mm. come across like that on the podcast, no, no, you're, you're perfect. It doesn't mean you have to know everything, but oh, you are yes. perfect. So that's um, the way it works. It, it's still really fascinating to to dig into this, you know. And I think maybe maybe digging into the industry, where these tools come from, and and how do they stagnate? That's maybe the next topic that we'll cover. Maybe, yeah. And, and to go back to what you were saying, Chris, and this is the thing that I think at least stands out to me. You and I may not do anything close to what Bjorn does in our day-to-day -day life. However, we've now gotten an understanding of something that we didn't know before. We're able to relate it to things we know, which literally breeds innovation. You can't work with something you don't know about. It, it just doesn't work. You know, so to me, learning about things like this and sort of understanding how things work, it's obviously so interesting because you then go, well, how do I make this happen? And then we get people like Bjorn who send me messages going, so that thing you guys talked about. <laughs> so how would that work in this environment? You know, like that, that kind of stuff is what fascinates me. And it's why I love documentation not included. But now we're going to shift gears entirely. We're 180ing from yay to are you really kidding me? It's RTF time. Time for us to uh, rant about anything that may or may not be bogging us down that may or may not want us to rip things to shred and apart. And it doesn't have to always be about programming. It, it could be about, you know, your, your favorite drink got canceled. I don't know. Do you have an RTFM today, Chris? Um, I mean, other other than I think I might have used it previously, but um, currently currently renegotiating contracts um, two days before the end of my contract renewal because uh, <laughs> clients basically don't really know if they want to keep me. They want they know they want to keep me on, but they haven't got their ducks in a row. Basically, that's my only RTFM at the moment, but it's just a standard thing for me a lot of the time. If I'm with a big company, it tends to be a lot earlier. They've got departments that deal with these kind of things, contract renewals. But when you're with a smaller company mm -hmm. where everyone's doing everything, they don't have the time to sort it out. Um, communication and, and everything. Everything is... All the things. All the things. I'm not actually frustrated at the moment. I'm actually feeling quite zen <laughs> this week in particular. So, <laughs> oh. yeah. What about you, Bjorn? Um, not programming related. I'm going to say one thing. Winter is coming. It's starting to get cold. Is it not always cold oh. where you are? 
Isn't there always snow on the ground where you live? <laughs> yes, and I have polar bears in the backyard. No, not uh, not quite. Uh, but uh, yeah, pretty darn uh, close. I, how far north I, you I, are? I, I'm, I'm getting close to where I actually had to get ice off the my my my, my car in the morning. So that is going to be my rant for the day. <laughs> Weather. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or mine has more to do with the fact that at times. It just seems like translation is out to get you, especially when you are the one implementing translation for a client. And you really want to do the best job that you can, but you can't always trust the translations that are sent to you or the tools that you need to use in order to implement the translations and translations, translations, translations. And it sucks. I love the fact that we all have different languages, different dialects, and I don't ever want that to change. But so help me God, I have such problems when it comes to actually implementing them to the standards that I want to have. Try, try <laughs> implementing a localization system in an enterprise-grade piece, piece of software. I've just been doing that. I've been trying to design um, how, mm -hmm. how languages should be presented. And because of the different types of users, and the different audiences, some people who are the audiences of the software aren't actually users of the software. They're not, they don't officially have an account or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You have to, in the database, you have to designate default languages and then you have to do the translations and then localize the actual applications and figure out how to present the information. And then you've got Unicode issues, which we were discussing slightly <laughs> before the show with the, the, show. Mm -hmm. with the, um, the, I'm not sure what it is. Is it an O? The Bjorn, the, the Owen Bjorn, or I'm not sure if there's an official name for it. There must be. It's uh, it's uh, uh. So, so it will be Bjorn, not, not Bjorn, but yeah. yeah. So uh, Bjorn, uh, Bjorn, I'm going to butcher your name no matter what way we go about <laughs> yeah, this. <of> so, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's, it's different. It's difficult. It's a difficult problem because people are involved, and that's that is that is what software is. Software is the it's... translation between computers and humans. Yes. And it's that you'll never solve all the problems. No, you won't. And when you start getting into, like, for example, in one of the systems that I'm working or one of the clients that I'm working in, it's not just things like French, German, Spanish, yada, yada. It's also things like Japanese, Korean. And that goes from being LTR to RTL. For those mm -hmm. who don't know what that means, that's left to right reading to right to left reading, which can drastically change because you can't always mirror. But it can drastically change the actual UX of a system or a website or what have you based on whether it's an LTR language or an RTL language. And it's crazy. So... Surprise! Yay! All of the good stuff. We have officially reached properly what I would hope is to be the end of our show. Although, honestly, I just want to keep talking about PLCs because I get fascinated by listening to talk to what he does. But anyway, thank you to everyone in Twitch chat for joining in. El Gordino and Aussie and Envina. Hearts and loves to you all. Um, and to everyone listening to us in the future. And thank you, Bjorn. <laughs> I'm totally gonna, you know, I'm going to do that to you for a very long time for joining us. I do hope you have had fun. I know being a listener, it can be very nerve wracking. So, hopefully, you had fun. Mm, yep, I had fun. Good stuff. Hopefully, we didn't. 
we didn't drill you too much. <laughs> nah. <laughs> and I, I purposely am not asking him to pimp anything because he's a bit like Mark Walsh. So, Bjorn, do you have anything to pimp? No. <laughs> That's simple. It's just no. <laughs> but we we do have things to pimp because we are shameless mm. and it's all about us. So you can visit our website on www.dnistream.live uh, where you can get links to everything, everything and everything, all our Discord, our all our platforms, um, discovery platforms, etc. You can also use the contact form to get in touch. Um, I'm not sure if Bjorn sent us a contact form, but he probably just sent us a message in Discord, I would imagine, um, to, to come on the show, <laughs> or another way, maybe. Um. <laughs> I don't stalk him at all to try to get him onto our show. <laughs> okay, Josie, oh. Josie has been sending messages on a daily basis on every single way that she possibly Almost, could get a hold of him. pretty much. Um, so yes, you can use the form to give us feedback, send us a, a, a funny dev story you want us to read out, or, or anything that you didn't get to say during the live show. That you might want us to uh, to say, or you can talk about coming on as a guest, as we said. Did you say use the phone? No, no. What's a phone? I, I literally think you said you can use the phone. I did to reach out to us, <laughs> which I... honestly you can't right now. <laughs> you can't because Josie's got rid of a phone. No, no, we've got rid of our phones. You kept your phone, haven't you? I kept my phone. Yeah, you kept your phone. <laughs> now the piece is from, uh, coming into place. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. But yes, okay. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. We hope to see you next week at Thursday, 7 p.m. UK time, twitch.tv slash DNI stream. I, thank you, Bjorn. Thank you, Chris, for being awesome and perfect. Can't help it. <laughs> All that's left is for us crazy people to say in a discombobulated way, bye-bye. Have a good one, guys.